Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 186th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK Zone Galaxy-based comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This week, we're taking a break from our usual progs to cover the 2080 annual for 1989. As always, annuals are dated for the year after they come out in. This is the 12th 2080 annual, and this year we're seeing extra, epi- um, extra episodes of classic thrills, including epilogues and prequels, the conclusion of Flesh Book 1, and a series of the Judge of the uh, Ron Smith Daily Dread Smith, Daily Dread Strips. Jesus, <laughs> killing me. The, uh, the annual has increased in price 50 pence this year to £3.75, but I myself am most excited for my guest this episode, David Page, the monarch of the 2080 forums. Welcome aboard, Dave. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. All right. Uh, Before we get started, can you share your uh, 2080 history with us? Okay, so my first experience with uh, 2080 was Prog 534, which was Ryan in a children's hospital in Glasgow. That was kind of a weird first impression of the, the comic. And a couple of years after that, um, my mother got me a copy of the Judge Dread Annual 1991. And what can I say? Oh, nice. What can I say? Yeah. Top dogs. Just top dogs. <laughs> I mean, that's... That annual is such an essential one. I remember um, when people started volunteering, I think I got four people requesting that annual specifically. Including um, me, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just like, all right, like, yeah, listen, like, I'm looking for early, you know, if you're in the early 90s, I was like, all right, yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, Dread Annual 91, definitely. Like, okay. I mean, and then I realized that I already promised to somebody else and it was just a, 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 a nightmare. But I think it, you know, bad times for me, but I think it does really speak to how much that, uh, one specifically spoke to people really great. Yeah, in fact, there's an interesting story about it, which I will try to be as vague as possible for certain years. <laughs> so, when I first got it, I obviously read Top Dogs, and there was this text piece called My Life as a Dog by Johnny Alpha, which was kind of like a text story written in the style of an autobiography by Johnny himself. Which, oh, interesting. which kind of goes down all of the, pretty much everything you've actually covered in your podcast so far, Strontium Dog Wise. <laughs> yeah. And that really got me interested in the character. So, I asked my mother if I could get a couple of like, issues of 2008 when about the same time I got the annual. Guess which mm-hmm. issue it was? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am not saying what happened in it, but it's exactly the one that you think it is, and I was sad. <laughs> <laughs> and all right, yeah, ex- and, exciting times. We're we're slowly getting to it here on, on the podcast. Probably, I think early early next year when we get to some momentous Strontium Dog times. Oh, geez, <laughs> it is not the bestest introduction to a strip ever. <laughs> No, I can imagine. That, that's a tough first episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that is pretty much my... St- After that, I kind of did not get any more issues of 2000 D until uh, the middle 700 Oh, no, you were scarred for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I did go to the middle 700-ish, so then I got scarred another mm-hmm. way because of Indigo Prime Killing Time. 
I still have nightmares mm. of that strip. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, I was a 2000 AD reader until about 1993. Then I became a reader of Sonic the Comic, the UK version of the Sonic comic, which is a totally oh, different yeah. beast altogether. <laughs> yeah, we're just um like we I I, I know on a. Uh, on the show, I think next, I think the episode after this, we're get uh, 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 Nigel Dobbins showing up in, in in the Progs, who I know did a lot of stuff with the with the UK Sonic comic as well. And because I was kind of young at the time, I could only afford one comic, and I kind of stuck with Sonic the comic because I was at that age where Sonic was like hotness. Yeah, that's fair. So I <laughs> could see that. <laughs> so I didn't get back into 2000 until about 1996, when about the pit era of Judge Dredd, which was a mm-hmm. pretty good one, and I kind of stuck around until about uh, 1999, and then I kind of dipped again until 2001, and I haven't left the comics since then. Oh, excellent. Yeah, those are man. Th- like um, a lot of those errors are ones that are really are still like in sh- uh, shrouded in fog for me because you know, I've read about the first thousand or so. So the pit's really my kind of final like like dread story um, <laughs> until like before I started this podcast, basically. So you know that's one of those ones that I'm you know for b- besides j- just being one of my favorite dread stories it's also a real a real a real milestone for me like all right like we're get at this point we're getting close to the frontier of my of my 2018 knowledge you know so that's going to be that's exciting times for sure yeah, as soon as the pit shows up, that's when about the time where the comic starts getting slightly good again after a pretty dodgy period. Hey, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's that's a future Conrad and Fox problem. Oh yeah, no, that's a, that's like a twenty. Well, not yeah, that's like a 2020, 2021 Conrad and Fox problem. That's when we're gonna be be in in the mix. It's gonna be a whole thing. <laughs> Cool. So you had the annuals when you were growing up, so or or when they come out. Um, so I I know you have a physical copy of this one. Is it when you had when you were younger? It or is the of a, ex- a relatively newer purchase. It is the exact same one as I had from all those years ago. Slightly wet. Oh, fantastic. Slightly wet. Not in perfect condition, but it is <laughs> yeah, still I mean, the same one. Fanta- yeah, listen, like you know, when they're well loved, that's what makes it the, a better um, a better comic book. You know. I know all the comic books I read as a kid were all comp- all like very few survived actually being read by me because I'm a I'm, I'm a I'm a hard reader, but um you know it just means that I like them. That's what I try to say. Uh, very uh, of mice and men kind of move, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> I agree with that hundred <laughs> percent. Excellent. Oh man, yeah. So I think it's great. So you know, and I know you've been a uh, you've been an early supporters of us on the 2084, and and and, and I appreciate that. You know, um, actually, it's it's, I, yeah. it's kind of ironic really because I've been on the forums for a long, long, long time, but I, I actually mm-hmm. found your podcast outside of the forums and actually sent you <laughs> actually sent you email correspondence of how much I enjoyed right. it, and it wasn't until much later that I realized. You're in the forums too. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I I, I remember those emails, all oh, those early days. Like, I mean, it's one of these weird things when you kind of do a podcast. What I found is. Like, like I've had two podcasts that have had sort of a moderate amount of episodes, and there really is a period where you just you're just sort of shouting into the void, 
and um, you know, it feels like you're just sort of doing it and, and no one's listening and no one can hear you or anything like that. But what's been great about Space Spitter is just that people have eventually started hearing us and have started talking back and stuff. And that's been so great. And, it's- and just being, yeah. Be- being brought into this fandom and these people at Love 2000 AD has been really amazing. I mean, I don't like to take your own horn since I'm a guest in everything, but it is right. <laughs> Space Banner 2000 is like one of the few podcasts I listen to on a weekly basis now. Oh, thanks. That's a, that's a real honor for sure. Just, I mean, I know I've, I've got my favorite podcast and to be someone else's like, like, like top pod, like, like high level podcast is a, is a, is a true honor. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's you guys, uh, the Fantastic Cast, and Jane Miles Explain the X Men are the three podcasts I listen to on a regular basis. Oh wow, that's a that's elite company for sure. I love those shows. So that's I'm happy to be mentioned in the same sentence at, at, at all, man. But yeah, listen now. Now I'm embarrassed, so we better get. Yeah, get I think here. We should, I think we should get to the <laughs> actual annual we're supposed to be talking about because I spent this amount of time just talking nonsense. <laughs> hey, I I appreciate it. Lord knows, like you know, it's um, it's 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 certainly appreciated. But yeah, okay. So just to give you some context, um, last episode we got to uh, Prague five eighty six. So. Danny Franks has merged with the cruel heart. Vinface McNulty's dog has just been killed. Oh no! We've uh, started tribal memories and been under foreign skies with Tyranny Rex. And uh, Nemesis the Warlock has just arrived in the present, aka like 1988, as uh, the Deathbringer. And of course, uh, Judge Dredd just met Kraken for the first time. Ooh. Damn, that's a lot of good straps. <laughs> We've really, like. Ev- it's always funny because sometimes we get to these specials and there's some and there's some real ho hum moments, but other times you get in there and it's like, listen, like five e- epoch changing events just happened. <laughs> you know, it's, we got to take a break and and talk about uh, annual stuff. <laughs> um, so the annual the the. Uh, opens with a cover by Brett Ewens and Jim McCarthy, which I think is is pretty fun. You got a uh, Judge Dredd pulling a gun on Kano as Tharg looks on. Like Kano's real, like you only see half of his face in an extreme close up, and there's sort of space behind him and stuff like that. And it's all very. And he's like, got that snarly ca- grimace thing going on his face as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Kano's doing like a kind of move. <laughs> And on the inside, we've got the table of contents as we see uh, Bradley uh, repairing, quote-unquote, the editorial droids Burton and McKenzie as a very confused-looking Tharg looks on. Tharg's being like, hey, what's going on here? Ah, Bradley, your favorite strap. (laughs) Oh, man. I kind of want to... You're gonna get me started here as I talk about my my Bradley feelings, but um, yeah, listen, I don't know. Um, <laughs> speaking speaking of things I might enjoy a little bit more in a classic sense, let's instead talk about Thrill One Ace Trucking Co. <laughs> classic stuff here. Uh, script robot John Wagner, Alan Grant, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, letting robot Mark King. So. Ace Trucking is back! Oh, yeah! We last saw it in Prague 498 in late 1986 um, at the end of a, of a series of extremely long Ace, Gar- uh, uh, Ace Garp adventures of varying quality. And at the end of that, we saw Ace Garp being sent into, or they were talking about sending Ace Garp, uh, leaving the alternate reality he'd come to by sending him into the heart of a son. 
Um, and now his his doppelgangers are doing it um, with the hope of either returning him to his home dimension or just kind of killing him. You know, whatever <laughs> whatever happens, it's fine as you do one way or another. Um, we see the alternate the alternate reality crew say good riddance to bad rubbish and sort of walk away as Ace goes into the heart of the star. And uh, hey, it works because eventually Ace is picked up and sent to the hospital at the Beehive B. The uh, you know, central space trucking um, d- uh, depot he works out of. There in a hospital bed wrapped in bandages, he's met by a, c- a couple fellow truckers who welcome him home, but then complain that Ace Trucking Co. has bought up all their rigs. Oh, no. <laughs> Expansionist space trucking policies. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, uh, after Ace heals up, he heads to the uh, solid gold Ace Trucking um, a- uh, headquarters <laughs> headquarters building where he's stopped by a secretary, but then led in by Feek wearing a sweet tuxedo and top hat. Ooh, very, very snazzy. Um, it seems that Feek had Ace declared dead, took over the company, and then started running it really well, taking over the whole station. Plenty! Ah... <laughs> <laughs> uh. All it took was getting rid of Ace to make things successful. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we saw this also, like, like when they unionized and put things to a vote, so it was basically GBH and Feek running the place. Like, Ace is not good at this, you know? <laughs> not good at all. I guess that's what happens when your business model is basically just what get-rich-quick scheme can we do, as opposed to just, like, hey, like, let's just space truck, you know? Um but so Ace is pissed. He tosses Feek into a big bowl of worms. But before he could do more, uh, GBH shows up and tosses Ace out the window into a fountain. <laughs> Later, Ace is getting drunk at a bar. Plenty Mac Mac. But all the cocktails there are named after Feek because he, in fact, owns the place <laughs> and the rest of the station. And hearing that name, Ace starts breaking up the joint. The cops show up and arrest, arrest Ace, who is quickly taken to the judge, where he gets 12 months of penal servitude. Well, it says 12 months, uh, but... <laughs> well, listen, yeah, because um, once they're in there, Feek uh, has them uh, toss him into the deep space ISO cube, because all the prisons have been privatized, and Feek runs those two. Oh, no! <laughs> uh God, I shouldn't laugh lot- because the 1980s was white gas. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's tough just in terms of like general prison things, but because it ha- it's happening to aliens in space, I feel like I'm removed enough to be able to get have a little chuckle about it. But um, yeah, Ace swears revenge. I'll get you if it's the last thing I ever does. And that's it. That's the end of Ace Trucking. Ace Trucking I will mean- never be seen again except for a couple of feather. I mean, (laughs) yeah, it'll be there in like in like some holiday editions in like uh, 2016 and 2017, I think. Yeah. But even but even then, that's not continuing on from this. Then they're just sort of back on the back on the on on the Speedo Ghost doing deliveries and stuff like that. So this whole situation, this is really just the uh, the capper for um, for Ace Trucking. Which is ironic, really, because if you go by the current 2000DD, the ultimate collection hardback things that's available in the UK, this story and the two previous Ace Trucking stories don't exist. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, uh, honestly, like, the, uh, I mean, 
I'm I'm fine with that. I think I remember when a like when Ace Trucking ended with just him going into the sun as part of an elaborate prank, and that and like, that's how the hardback corrections end. Yeah, <laughs> from dying. I mean, I. <laughs> I, I remember Fox being really satisfied with that ending. You know, I think I was too. Like, we're just like, oh man, like that's sort of a bummer, but also what a way to go. You know, he like, he like saved everybody's rigs and then kind of like, you know, had one final mix up that led to his death. And he so, you know, was sort of sad, but whatever. Like, I think that's cool. But like, nah. Like, to be honest, you know? I think it should have ended there originally too, because. The chicken story is too long. It's fun, but it's too long. Mm-hmm. And the Earth story is just garbage, in my opinion. I really yeah, did not I mean, like yeah. it at all. Yeah, the chicken story was not great. That Hollywood story, ooh. No, I mean, I think that actually... I remember that like souring me on Ace Trucking at the end. I was like, okay. Ugh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, had the same, I had the same opinion on it. It, like it was just because yeah. the sad thing is very much just like j- just go the away sad, you know, the whatever. sad thing is this story and this annual is really really good it's a nice ending for Ace Trucking but unfortunately yeah. it doesn't yeah. make any sense if you excise the two stories before which is what the correction <laughs> did <laughs> yeah you can't feel like alright but yeah then at, FYI he had some adventures on the other side of the sun and then came back you know no you gotta have those a little bit you know uh, who's to say yeah oh man yeah you know it's it, it's it's tough telling these stories you know like um and I think especially and like what I what's tough I think is just the idea of these humor strips like because like, they're they're actually pretty hard to do I think just to have a story that's whole idea is is that it's funny because humor sort of ephemeral you know and so it's it's easy to think like oh yeah we'll just do another one of those strips and it'll be fine but you know if you go too far it loses a lot of the humor and then it's just um it's just annoying and you know sort of sours you on it for sure yeah it's like totally agree 100 percent on that like it's it's one of those things where you don't think where like i i could see from an outside observer you wouldn't think it would be it would be difficult but i think just from the from the basis of of, of how many times we've seen hits versus misses it is pretty hard you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah but um, I, yeah, and that you know, always informative statements here in two, here in Space Winter two thousand. And speaking of learning about important facts, <laughs> let's go to <laughs> Thrill Two, the Dinosaurs. Um, so yeah, listen, a semi-factual uh, trans time handbook for uh, uh, handling various dinosaurs of a flesh of uh, the flesh times. Yeah, th- th- this um, is the kind of and. Informative in quotes, kind of text pages that I kind of like. The kind that sets it up so that it actually feels like a part of the setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it's just like this, like like random dino things. I think this one first appeared. This is a reprint of a flesh cutout that appeared from Progs ninety six to ninety eight, um, right when fl- when Flesh Book Two was running in the Prog. And it's definitely mostly an excuse just to get some uh, pretty sweet dinosaur drawings going on here. Um, I think some are Bellardinelli, but some are from some other, um, so, some other, I think, I think maybe Roman Solar or something like that. Um, oh, but they're just great. There's like, uh, 
There's Stegosauruses, Triceratopses, Anathosaur, which was the big bad guy in Flesh Book 2. We've got Pterodons, and of course, badass T-Rexes. All right. What amuses me the most is the T-Rex one, because all of these things have, like, how to deal with dinosaurs from the perspective of the trans-time operatives and yeah. the trans-time kind of fight them as a time-traveling the, t- uh, cowboy and right. the trans <laughs> one is just like no just run away you're not gonna win this <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah. Are, yeah combat suggestions are you serious <laughs> it's excellent Awesome, yeah, just like fun, fun past stuff. And as we get to, let's just like a lot of time traveling in this here uh, annual. So let's let's keep time traveling with Thrill Three Time Twisters. So this one is a uh, is a classic time twister from uh, Prague Three O Two. Episode ninety three of the podcast. Uh, script about Alan Grant. Art about Baluda. Letter about Peter Knight. It's the story of Dan of a uh, Doctor Dale's diary. And it's 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 basically your your standard time twister, basically <laughs> like um, a scientist or a, a human body has been found in dinosaur times by Tharg, and he tells its story. Um, it turned there was a scientist interested in why dinosaurs died out and has built a time machine, and he sort of lists some reasons why the dinosaurs might have died out, and it's anything from a comet to um, time traveling ranchers um, hunting them to extinction. You know, good 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 flesh reference here. Um, Which I'm guessing is the reason why it made and, it into this annual because there's a lot of flesh oh, definitely. in this annual. Yeah, after after Ace Trucking, we're just it's what it's like. <laughs> Fifty percent flesh coverage in this in this thing—it's ridiculous, yeah. But uh, his wife yells at him for time traveling because she has the flu, and this is of course a, an appearance by my favorite uh, uh, time twister and future shock character, the hand-packing wife, <laughs> which appears so often in these. Um, and yeah. She doesn't want him to time travel. He really does, so he goes. He's in the past. Oh, but he's caught his wife's flu. Oh no. <laughs> Um, and then he gives it to all the dinosaurs, and they all start dying. It's your standard stuff, you know. So who killed the dinosaurs? This dude! Oh no! Does that count as a blah 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 moment? <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like the I, I feel like the air horn comes later <laughs> when he tries to uh, when he he tries to travel back to the f- uh, to the future, but in, instead. A dying brontosaurus falls on the time-traveling machine and sends it to the future instead. He's stuck in the past, and the dinosaur warps into the future on somebody's house. And that's why you take care of your wife when she's sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I I know that future shocks and time twisters get a bad rep on the show sometimes, but sometimes I just really enjoy them. <laughs> I mean, this one, I mean, for, like, a five-page feature shock, this is a pretty fun one just because, like, I don't know, like, it, um, I like any time that some, or, I mean, this happened on, on The Simpsons once, too, actually, just where someone comes back and, like, like, like where Homer went, 
went back to dinosaur times and sneezed on a dinosaur and it at, and it instantly ke- like all the dinosaurs instantly keeled over from the flu and the same thing happens here where they all just sneeze once and instantly die the dinosaurs all instantly die off from this flu that he brought and i think that is pretty hilarious yeah um and just like and also just time travel mishaps like you know the the brontosaurus being warped to the future is pretty solid like i like any time someone has a has a time machine that sort of you know doesn't really let works in weird circumstances i think the best one of that was there was one where a guy uh had a had a uh, had a t- had a time machine, but it used a wall socket. So like he traveled to the past and he couldn't power it up to go to Back to the Future because he couldn't plug it in. You know, like this is all this is all solid time twister stuff. You know, but oh man, let's talk about some more exciting time machine stuff. So much time travel. It's We're it's make, it's like it's an unofficial theme of this annual or something. It really is. I think like they're just like, all right, like listen, we gotta do something. Like, fine, we'll do time travel stuff. Here we go. Thrill four, the trans time file. <laughs> and this section is just the most fillery piece of filler I've ever seen in my life because there's not just like it's not just words and writing, but it's also just a ton of a uh, of a uh, white space in these pages as well. Um but it's basically a bunch of, of uh, memos, press clippings, and reports covering the events of most ti- trans time-related events in the pages of 2000 AD as a dossier compiled by a company thinking of, a, of, of acquiring the Trans Time Corporation. So, like, besides just, like, um, um, like, like the flesh site being destroyed and stuff, there's also stuff about the uh, Jurassic Park-style... Um, dinosaur resurrection in uh in dread's world which led to satanus threatening the cursed earth and stuff like that there's even like press clippings of that three human-headed tyrannosaur that that uh, appeared the end of flesh and things like that it's good times as i said earlier this is the kind of feather that i do like although i do agree with you that there's a lot of white space on this particular one yeah i mean i'm not like i've seen like you know i mean at some point the filler is just kind of the of a fact of life so you can't like um you know complain too much and i feel like there is some effort at least to write things in character and stuff if the if the alternative to this was a massive wall of text of someone writing a, a short story about flesh I feel like I would like that far less than I I, I like this. Yeah, know? we've kind of come a long way from the older annuals where they would just print anything that was lying in IPC's archives regardless of how much it fits into 2000. Oh yeah, like we've come a long way from, I think there was an article in the, there was a thing in the first Dread Annual that was just an article about motorcycles and movies. Or, <laughs> or the first couple of 2000 AD annuals where they would just print random issues or episodes of phantom oh Patrol. yeah yeah all those all those phantom <laughs> patrols from our from our our, our misspent youth oh my gosh <laughs> we had no idea what was happening i mean i like i like personally like phantom patrol but it has no business in a 2000 ad annual i think the hard part was that especially like a, a lot of the phantom patrols we got weren't like jointed in any way like sometimes like even the ones in the annual there'd be like actually like i i looked up and actually like large gaps in the issues that we were looking at that that we were being shown there so it just made it hard for the uh for the pick for the for the comic to hang together absolutely which is is weird absolutely agree absolutely agree um yeah, but speaking of uh, classic stories that might be collected a little bit more um, more tightly here, 
we go to Thrill 5 Flesh Part 1. Oh man, this is an interesting way of correcting something for an annual. <laughs> I mean, we've actually had multiple chapters of Flesh over the years. Like, I remember we had, like, certain sections of it with other... Like, I, I remember talking about early Flesh with other um, folks on these annual shows. I mean, wasn't there, like, one annual... It's not quite Flesh, but there was, like, a slightly cut version of Sh- Shackle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had... Yeah, I think... Like two or three years ago, yeah, there was just like an abridged version of Shackle. They just cut out, out a lot of the middle parts, but still had like the big opening and closing sections, you know? It's 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 funny because I feel like the annuals are a chance to collect some of these lesser thrills that aren't going to be, that Forbidden Planet isn't interested in collecting. You know? Oh my God, how times have changed where Rebellion are currently collecting anything and everything. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a Death Planet collection. I don't know what else you need to say, you know? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a Wolfie Smith collection coming. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, uh, script robot Ken Armstrong and Kelvin Gosnell. Art robots Roman Sola, Boy, Felix Carrion, With Burgess, and, and Corti. Um, and the Lenny robot is a D hand, which is a diverse hands, which probably means they, they don't have the credits for who the letterers were for this. But based on Barty, I've seen names like uh, Bill Nuttall, Jack Potter, Jay Swain, S. Richardson, John Aldridge, Peter Knight, Bennisberg, uh, T- Tony Jacob, and Tom Frame related to lettering uh, flesh. So there's a lot, many people going into this. I have thing. to, I have um, to, but the interesting thing is because obviously flesh is pre-credit cards and like... To yeah. put the the credits in this, it's just like a blank, a blank rectangle with names on that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even like like mock up like um, whatever the number is, but those uh, you know, like the uh, computer it's, looking credit card or anything like right. that. It's like they just stuck the names of the people in it and just left it like that. Oh yeah, it's even got like different lettering than the thing, so it just looks like a post-it note that someone just slapped on there right when they went to press or something. It's excellent times. <laughs> um, but so yeah, we've had, like you said, we we've or like I said, I guess we we we've had parts of flesh already reprinted in this annual in these annuals. The first three progs of it were in the '82 annual. The second three were in the '84 annual. And now we're just screwing the rest of that middle stuff, and we've skipped to the 11th chapter um, here. It, um, or sorry. Um, and now we've skipped like right to the end, basically. We're just going to finish up pretty much all of Flesh. Um, this section, you know, listen, this like is some of my favorite parts of early 2000 AD, just these predator dinosaurs and stuff showing up. It's great. God, you've you got to love uh, insert more animal creature that attacks humans because humans are the bad. These kind of stories, I love those kind of stories. You know, like Shackle and John. <laughs> yeah. Ant wars, all yeah. that stuff. Like, yeah, this is this feels very much a a a, a, a Pat Mills special. The uh, uh, nature rising up to take down humanity and its hubris. We are really do another one of those kind of stories in the prog currently. Yeah, because I don't think there's been something like that since the current series of Flesh a good few years ago. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we're. We're definitely due for some more uh, dog bites man stories in the in, in the prog. I'm always ready for those. You know, it's my that, that that's my fave for sure. <laughs> so the Trans Time HQ is under siege. We're introduced the leader of that HQ, uh, the controller, this dude with a huge head and a huge sense of superiority. 
It seems like the activities of Earl Reagan and the Flesh Crew have started to have an effect on the prehistoric ecosystem, and now tons of flesh-eating dinosaurs are starving and converging on the headquarters. What? You mean time traveling and messing up the past has consequences? Funny that. I mean, it even has consequences in the past. It's not even like butterfly effect stuff. It's like, <laughs> it's like, no, this is messing us up right now, too. What the heck? I thought we could just pass it all off to our future selves, you know? Uh, but so they all, um, so they, the the predators all converge in the Transtime HQ to get the flesh stabled there, but not even an army of thousands, and an army of, of an army of, an army of thousands of flesh-hungry dinosaurs, including pterodons, T-Rexes, furry T-Rexes, which are probably the most realistic thing currently based on our knowledge of dinosaurs in this comic. Um, there's spinosaurs, terrible claws, and terrible hands, which we now usually call like, uh, Dionychuses and uh, Diohericuses. Or, uh, sorry, Dionacharius. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, and, uh, like, they're all, sh- all these guys are showing up, and even, um, like, Old One Eye and the, and, and the boss of the, uh, of the hairy T Rexes do, like, a, uh, jaw wrestling thing to, like, uh, show that they're, uh, united in this cause, which is pretty awesome. Good old, good old <laughs> One Eye, the first female protagonist of, uh, 2000 Yeah. Never forget. If- First and strongest female character in 2008. Never forget. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's like, man, that's the greatest uh, 2008 or a space spinner uh, take, I got to say. It's the the realest one. Like, she's the star of this comic. You know, she's the hero fighting against these evil humans. Absolutely. You know, she's a and she's a matriarch of a whole family of a 2000 AD cinematic universe characters. You know, it's actually it's, it's all connected. <laughs> so they all attack, but they're unable to breach to breach the compound's invisible laser fence at first, at least. Eventually, though, the flesh eaters are able to overwhelm that fence, and additional barricades and stuff only hold them back because uh, Earl Reagan finally manages to convince the controller to take men off the flesh dozers, those dino slaughter machines, to man the base's defenses. But, and I remember this being the greatest twist in all of comicdom when we first saw it. Um, It seems a colony of giant spiders has developed beneath the trans-time base. God, I, I I remember freaking out at this when I first read it because, oh God, I hate spiders so much. And I hate when they just sort of show up in the basement, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. They've been getting fat off the blood that's been released from dino slaughter and with the machines stop, they're hungry, so they burrow up from the ground. It's a spider attack! The last thing you were expecting in a dinosaur versus human strip. No, yeah, no one, no one expects the giant spiders. They're like the Spanish Inquisition times ten. Um, the evil Earl, Earl Carter locks um, Earl, or, or the, the evil Claw Carter, I should say, locks Earl in, in the in a bunk room with the spider. And Carl and Earl's and Carter and Earl's buddy Joe's tries to destroy the spider nest with antimatter launchers. While Reagan escapes the bunk room by playing country western music to distract the arachnids, <laughs> we see several workers being hung for trying to escape the base. And crazily, their nooses are all tied to the noses of jet planes, which is a crazy thing to see. Just these planes flying around overhead with bodies hanging from them. No good. 
Um, but b- this does allow for another Flying Squad reference, which is good for the uh, writers of the era, very big into the show, The Sweeney, which is about the Flying Squad as well. I feel like there's 20 Flying Squad references in the first uh, couple episodes, issues of 2000 AD, including like guys fighting Bill Savage and stuff like that. I remember a lot of those kind of references went over my little head when I was younger. Not so much anymore, mind you. Yeah, well, I feel like I've, um, I'm picking them up now, you know? Like, it's definitely, like, the like I, I looked it up once because I was like, they keep saying Flying Squad like I'm supposed to know what that is. So I guess I better go to the Google. Um. Yeah, honestly, I think it's when they start getting to the 800s and stuff and they start referencing their contemporary stuff at the time for me. That's when I started getting all the references. But before then... Right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a point where, um, where, like, sometimes I'll just be able to... I can think to myself, like, oh, okay, these guys are just being silly, as opposed... But then when they start making references, I understand. It's like, oh, wait, that's, like, a thing I should know. Oh, man, what the rest of this stuff is, too? <laughs> but so, the story ends with Earl breaking out of jail and beating up the controller until he's convinced to send for weapons and reinforcements from the future as the dinosaurs begin their final assault. Pterodons from the sky, T-Rexes all around them, spiders from below. It's the beginning of the end. Flesh is getting very tense. To be continued. God damn, I love flesh. <laughs> like, there's just this final, this final page of this section, which, you know, features, like, all these humans getting killed by a bunch of dinosaurs and just a, a slavering old one-eye walking forward with a cowboy hanging out of the side of her mouth and stuff. Real menacing. Just real like, oh man, these dinosaurs are going to kill us and it's terrible. Yeah, uh, strips like flesh and invasion were stuff that I didn't get into until much later on in my lifetime as a 2000 AD fan, but I really love them, even if they are kind of archaic compared to some other stuff, I still really love them. I mean, yeah, so many of these early ones just have this kind of manic energy that is like, listen, we just got violence and we got to put it on the page. That's it, you know? <laughs> I'm so glad they're at the start, though, because I, I do remember these ones, like, really roping in Fox and letting us be able to sort of, you know, start with a bang on, on these comics, for sure. I mean, if, you know, if it was all, like, sort of moody darkness, I'm not sure how long we would have been able to keep going in those early oh, days. Oh, God, if you started in the 90s, oh, I don't think we would, you would have 180-odd episodes of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I feel like we definitely have a different tone in our in our in our in our broadcast, the very least, if that's where we started, for sure. But but speaking of having the blues. All right. That's a good one. Uh, Let's go to Thrill Six. Judge Dredd. Dredd. Yeah. Uh, Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant. Art robot John Higgins. Letting robot TF clone, which might be someone standing in for Tom Frame doing some Judge Dredd um, um, lettering here in the annuals, but aware that he's, you know, stepping on some toes as he does so. Hey, that's a so. possibility because we are getting to the point where uh, pseudonyms kind of get dropped permanently unless they're trying to pro- unless it's an established writer trying to keep a twist from someone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Get out of here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... It is very much, yeah, we're sort of get yeah, it's it's odd to see names that aren't clearly someone else, someone's name in here, so this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, listen, here we go. 
I woke up this morning feeling 30 kinds of mean with a helmet on my head and a belly full of spleen. Cause judges don't got no soft pit, no, no soft beds and pillows, baby. Just 10 minutes in the sleep machine. Uh, it's the Joe Dredd's Blues. <laughs> yes. These annual stories are, I like these ones that, that are told in rhyme or verse. I remember like the one where, uh, where Dread fought the devil was, was in rhyme. Um, and it's just a very much a chance for the, it, it, it feels like a chance for the writers just to have fun. And they're clearly just like writing songs and stuff, which I feel like maybe just based on that one um, Robo Hunter story feels like something that John Wagner and Alan Grant think is kind of funny. So this feels like one that was very much like the two of them, like just spending a day, like making up stanzas for this song as, and, and then putting it in the annual. And at the same time, John Higgins is going nuts with this thing because after, after the first page, it just explodes into a series of two-page uh, giant technicolor spreads by John Higgins that are just full of, of, a, of, a, of a color and life and just different things uh, going yeah. on and stuff. It's the really great. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's this mixture of dread, like uh, shooting people and beating people up and like people singing the chorus and musical notes appearing in the sky and stuff <laughs> like that. Like the whole thing is just a pretty crazy, um, pretty crazy event. Like, I mean, there's not much of a plot because it's very much just dread talking about how it's hard to be a judge and stuff like that, um, you know. We uh, a, a citizen tries to call Dread on brutality, and Dread himself sings how it's hard out there. He heads to an alien town where there's a riot. He also stops a jewel heist and some lady muggers dressed as uh, as robots. And he arrests at least one naked citizen. And we briefly do, in fact, get a glimpse of the Liam Sharp block reference to some of some fellow um, um, Dread writers and stuff like that. Um, finally, Dread admonishes like. St- speaks to the camera and admonishes the reader of this annual while like grabbing a reader through the pages of the book, you know? (laughs) So all you people out there, be careful what you choose, make the wrong decision and I'll guarantee you'll lose. Cause I'm going to track you down, babe. Give you those old Joe dread blues. I, I like to think that this strip is like an in universe, uh, Judge-sponsored TV program. <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah, definitely. It's like yeah, it's it, it's like a like like a public service announcement with with a catchy tune, but instead it's just dread saying, "Listen, like I will kick your ass if you aren't careful, buddy. Like, get care- be, you know, do the right thing out there." <laughs> and I can just imagine dread thinking, "This is what they this is what they want to do with me." Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I guess it just beats, yeah, like, he did it once, um, and then, like, beat up the, uh, beat up the production crew, and that's like, all right, like, like, we gotta get Judge Pal in here, like, like, he's, he's better for this stuff, you know, it's like, I, the origin of more, of more studious public relations Maybe judges, that's how you know? Judge Pal came to be. <laughs> yeah, like, we can't, Dread can't do everything, and he's not gonna do this, you know. <laughs> okay, that is a fish with my head cannon <laughs> All right. Yeah, listen, like it's easy, like, you know, I always imagine so many Mega City One things, they have Dread do it first and then you get somebody else when he like, you know, kicks someone's ass in the course of it. You're like, all right, like we got to find a better temperament for this. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, speaking of uh, ill-thought-out propaganda... <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, listen, I am a professional podcaster here. I got these good ones. Uh, Thrill 7, bad company. This is quite an interesting story, especially as you mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, you just reached the end of Bad Company 2. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we just finished the Cruel Hearts. This, like, like this actually kind of like Ace Trucking is, like, a nice kind of, like, like it's the annual serving as a capper for some story that, that, that we've been reading Yeah, in the you prods, could you read know? this story oh. as both a prologue to the entire Bad Company thing or an epilogue to Danny Franks' story. I think it's a better um, epilogue myself just because, like, I don't know, like, um, I've sort of had discussions with people about this, like, you know, they're, like, when they do kind of a prequel thing after the whole of a story, I don't like putting that prequel stuff first because a lot of times the prequel has like storytelling things that are references to like, just like, you know, what's going to happen. Like, because you've read the story previously, it's got a lot of subtext that you're missing. If you just watch it in, in straight chron- chronological fashion, Fair point, cough, phantom menace, cough, attack of the clones, cough, revenge of the Sith. Indeed. <laughs> But I mean, it's like like even deeper in Star Wars, though. Like I saw somebody do a list of that show, um, Rebels. Like like how you could watch that show in chronological order, which would mean cutting out like actual flashbacks in the middle of an episode and watching those out of order to get a chronological thing. And it's like that's not how flashbacks work, dude. Like you know, I just, do. You just got a lot of a, a lot of non sequiturs that will eventually be stitched back into the episode like tw- like thirty hours from now. Like this is not how you watch I, television, my friend. Like, I do work. remember a fan made version of Lost, which did the exact same thing. It it moved everything into a chronological order, so you get all the flashbacks to first, and then to the stuff on the island, and then the ending, and everything. Yeah, like I don't, I, I don't know. That seems weird to me. Like you just lo- you just robbed everything of context. Totally. You know? totally. <laughs> or like I, I kind of feel that way about, um, like I don't know, like like a C.S. Lewis, I guess. Like you know, now if you go to buy a cop, like the uh, the Narnia books, like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe isn't the first one, despite the fact that it's like uh, the first one that was written. And for me, that's like ah, I don't, I don't like this. Like this is not like the way you do it. But anyway, <laughs> enough of my <laughs> literary bitch in here. Um, so, yeah, like you said, we've just finished Bad Company in the Prague, so it's fun to see this little prologue here. We see troops on Ararat marching out to fight, and Pat Megan, our war correspondent, is going with them. Oh, wait, I should say, I don't know if I did the credits for this one. Uh, script robot Peter Milligan, art robot Brett Ewens and Jim McCarthy, lettering robot TF Clone, which, because Tom Frame also did the Bad Company lettering, another person maybe standing in for him or something or like it that. it could be Tom Frame, but I don't know why oh, he no. would... Hiding because I know that sometimes writers hide their name so that it doesn't look like they're writing the entire issue or anything. But why would that letter hide them? I don't know. I well, like I like because I've I've mostly only seen letterers write when they, when it's, when it's not their name, it's like pseudonyms that we know. It's stuff like the Aldrich Mark Three or um, Gordon Robson writing his name as, as a kid a lot of times, which is like his nickname, I guess. Like, I've, I've never seen this TF clone thing. It's just actually in this annual and the Judge Dredd annual this year. It, 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 it's weird. Like, I'm not sure what's going on with it. I, I asked around and couldn't get it get it. Maybe a work for hire droid that was disassembled after that. <laughs> Certainly pop, Like, you know, with annuals, that's definitely a possibility. Like, this is where we see artists, not artists that, like, don't come back. You know, it's sort of their... 
attempt at doing stuff and maybe they, they just aren't, aren't, aren't brought on. But so we, we meet Pat Megan, a war correspondent. He's going with the troops on Ararat. His bosses want some realism in war reporting, but they mostly want propaganda, which is rough because war is hell even more so against the cruel. You see a bunch of humans being killed and Megan finds himself stuck behind enemy lines on the Golgotha Plains. Suddenly, several crew are shot, and the others run, because it's Thrax, and with him, Kano, it's bad company! Yay! This is early days, because the guys still seem to be getting along pretty well, of course. Um, you know, we they're sort of been separated from the main company, because we just see Kano and Thrax and one or two other guys that sort of don't have characterization all that much. Um, they've been cut off from the rest of their forces as the cruel attack again. They fight as Megan narrates and doesn't fight, and they're clearly just trying to blow them off whenever possible. <laughs> um, I love the colors here, just all these like blues and purples and greens. It's a very sort of uh, sickly color palette that, that I think is really good for uh, like like the look of Ararat, especially these hallucination-causing Golgotha Plains. Yeah, it's really, really nice um, color. Yeah, as they adventure, uh, Megan learns the truth from Kano. Earth only has 15 years left. Crueler bearing down on them. The madness of the plane seems to be an equalizer between K- uh, uh, a human and alien. And once the tide turns against the cruel, Megan's mad visions transition the bad company into the monsters, not the cruel, blasting away at the misshapen <laughs> aliens. Eventually, Megan wakes on the plane, surrounded by Cruel's corpses. He's all alone. Later, we see him on a ship home back to Earth, talking to some grunts. He explains that he's headed to Earth to publish his manuscript to tell the truth about the war. But he's currently on a ship to another part of Ararat to throw the government off the scent. The grunts he's standing with, he learns their names, Ted and Chris Franks. Oh, dear. Oh, no. When some <laughs> men show up and kill Megan, they accidentally hit the fuel tanks off the ship, blowing it up. Back on Earth, we see a flashback we've already seen before in the pages of Bad Company. <laughs> With Danny Franks talking to his girlfriend about he's going to join the army to honor his dead brothers. And then we flash from his face to the traumatized face of Danny Franks of Bad Company. What a happy end. <laughs> Something. You know, I mean, I guess it's better than the... than. The protoid ending up as the cruel heart or something like that, but generally like a very like disturbing kind of end. And then after that, we get a cool uh, black and white version of the cover of Prague 501, just the uh, basically the uh, the uh, Christmas letter photo of um, of bad company looking all cool, shooting their guns off into the distance. Still a fantastic cover. Always like that one. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we had it on, on an episode cover, I believe. Yeah, just all these guys, Mad Tommy, yelling at those cruel guys. It's excellent. Have a taste of Mad Tommy's steel. Oh, poor Mad Tommy. You know, it's <laughs> tough, man. Ah, got taken out out of hand in the course of uh, of the cruel heart. Like, they just, they ran out of jokes for him. They're like, all right, like, you're out of here. Bad Tommy. I honestly thought they ran into a corner when they revealed that Mad Tommy wasn't mad. Then they had to rewrite it so that he is mad, and then Kano just kills him. <laughs> yeah, he got re remadded and then just throttled when Kane when like they added a few more characters and like, listen, we got too many folks in here. Let's just get rid of Mad Tommy. Like, oh man, <laughs> come on, like that guy. But anyway. Uh, speaking of other people obsessed with the past, let's talk about Thrill 8, Flesh Part 2. 
Uh, same credits as last time. The dinosaurs are through the defense line and everything is terrible. We got some great art of these T-Rexes rampaging through, killing all these dinosaurs. There's uh, Dionychuses lost in the base, or I guess, you know, now we'd call them raptors, but it's that same basic, like, sort of uh, cool, smaller alien wreaking havoc, uh, getting stuck in cars and driving them around and stuff like that. Oh, it's great. Terrible for Uh, trans time. Great for the reader. I mean, yeah, listen, I don't care about (laughs) trans time. These guys are jerks. Like, they, they... they got, they're getting what's coming to them, you know? Yeah. Reagan and the base controller try for one last shot at revenge against old One-Eye, but the controller ends up being eaten by the hag T-Rex, and Earl Reagan himself is almost bitten by, uh, is almost eaten by those giant spiders. He gets ejected by the venom and is just hanging out in the web. Like, is this how Earl Reagan ends? Nope. But <laughs> instead, he sucks the poison out of his own wound, which is totally how it works. And, <laughs> manages to uh to get out in time in the end reagan a bunch of red shirts and claw carver make it to the temporal escape pods carver with a bunch of reserve gold bullion that was lying around just i don't know in case you need gold in prehistoric times you just got to have it on hand i guess um carver's time ship gets lost in time and he disappears though of course he'll return with that gold bullion in flesh book two uh, and the red shirts end up fusing with the T-Rex that was attack that was attacking their escape pod, creating this crazy giant T-Rex with three human heads for a head. A oh, very no. memorable on the cover. <laughs> definitely, that's one of the, those iconic early 2000 AD covers where it's just like, whoa, what is happening? That's terrifying. I remember seeing that cover online before I even read Fresh, and I knew I had to read Fresh just by that from that cover. It definitely like raises <laughs> a lot of questions that like are very very complicated in the young mind for sure. Um, the creatures quickly killed along with the rest of the dinosaurs that warped the future. Finally, Earl Reagan ends up being sentenced to prison as the final survivor of the uh, of the flesh <laughs> attack, and so the only one they can blame for the disaster. We finish with Old One-Eye, the true heroine of flesh, standing in the wreckage of the trans-time base, roaring her, pu- roaring her triumph. And it's not published here, but later she'd finally die of old age and get one final kill in Prog 19 when they dug up her bones and set them up in like a, uh, in like a, in, in like a museum. And they had dinner inside her bones. And some scientists was like, oh, these T-Rexes were mostly scavengers. They aren't that great. And climbed up into her jaws. And her skeleton jaws snapped shut, killing him. Like a one final kill millions of years later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was totally going to say, they cut out the best bit of Flesh Book 1. <laughs> that section, man. It's just so, like, that That part is like, even in death, old what I claimed a final human great. victim. Uh, that's also where they find human skeletons in like the stomach of the uh, of some dinosaurs and all the scientists are like oh that's a weird coincidence like we can't make anything big out that of this must I have guess. been very confusing for Just, the museum curators and archaeologists pre-trans time <laughs> yeah like why are all these why are all these human bodies inside these dinosaur guts and why do they all have like spurs and cowboy hats you know <laughs> why is it cowboys you know and this ends as a final picture of Earl Reagan and his horse drawn down on a T-Rex as it chews up a cowpoke, drawn by Space Spinner, favorite Roman Sola. It's not uh, Old One-Eye, though, because this one has an eye where Old One-Eye is. Wait, no, 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 no I'm, I'm sorry. 
it might be old one eye because it's the uh, she's missing her right eye, not her left eye. I All cannot right. confirm or deny this, but that may actually be artwork from earlier plugs before they had to sanitize it a bit. Oh yeah, it could be just because yeah, it it is pretty graphic in terms of just this uh, dude getting his leg bit off and blood flowing down the T Rex's chin and stuff like that. Like that's a very very hook jaw level of um, alien violence, Absolutely. you know. <laughs> And speaking of uh, unprecedented levels of violence, nah, I don't know. Speaking of um, just more al- of of a uh, of a uh, people of a uh, people drawing down on their on their enemies, let's go to Thrill Nine, the Daily Dreads. These are great, yeah. Scripted by John Wagner, Alan Grant, art about Ron Smith, letting about. I'm going to assume Tom Frame. It doesn't say, but uh, so. We're starting to see these daily, daily star dread strips in the uh, in the specials. We saw the first one with the, with with our, or we, we we saw them first in the mega special this year. They'll soon be in the regular prog, and this is the first. This is the first story of the actual daily, daily dread strips. It's still drawn by a by a dread by by a daily star dread impresario uh, Ron Smith. Third story was in the mega special, and the second Ron Smith's. Uh, uh, one of these daily dread stories will be in the uh, dread annual this year, so we're actually seeing like four of these storylines in a very quick Not succession. A bad thing, totally. No, absolutely. And these comics ran from January to April 1986. God, I would have been like three then. <laughs> yeah, I was like like five. You know, it's a uh, it's a crazy time. I can't imagine having these in an actual in an actual newspaper. I would have been very <laughs> stoked. Uh, we start with some basic dread stuff. Mega City One, it's full of crime. The year's 2107, and the city has its post-apocalypse war borders. Some, we see some perps taking hostages at a bank. They want to talk, but Dread just bursts in with his log, with uh, um, bursts in on his lawmaster and shoots them both. Good law manning here, absolutely. Uh, from the dread, from the bank, Dread heads off to find a guy uh, walk, uh, running on a walkway, and which is a you know. Obviously worth his time as he zeroes in on this guy. The uh, the running man is caught by some goons and a dude with vicious uh, with vicious claws on his fingers demands to know where Iconos is. Very mysterious. As this man dies, he says he sold it to a man named Elvar Primo, but the box is cursed. Uh, Dread rolls up on the goons, but when he orders them to stop, they blast his law master with some kind of gem. Uh, chasing after them, Dread takes down one of the perps with a heat-seeking bullet, but the rest of the perps use the gem to drop their to drop the roof on Dread. He calls in his delicate situation under some rubble, and an H wagon is dispatched to free him. We see Dread being bandaged as other dre- uh, uh, judges check the dead perp. They find that he's wearing a skin suit, and underneath is some kind of lizard monster or something. Oh no! Just terrible. These lizard monsters showing up. I don't appreciate it. Um, it seems he's a, he's a crow from the Horsehead Nebula, and they can't inject this poison and are a secretive superstitious, superstitious race, so they must be here for a reason. Dead human Harley Mingus had an apartment on the Deb Pfeiffer block, which I don't, I couldn't find a name for, so I, I assume it's a, cor, it, it, it's a Coronation Street character. Sounds about um, right. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it seems Mingus was a spaceship navigator, and his last trip was to the Krolls planet. Oh, it's all falling together. The other judges are searching Mingus's apartment. They find a briefcase full of creds. 
And to get more info, they've, they've got to interrogate these corpses, so we better call in a side judge. And I think you know that means it's Judge Anderson. Heck oh, yeah. yeah. Always nice for a little Anderson cameo when she shows up on the stage. I love that she just pops in, like literally, like like someone on a TV show, like where people would applaud when they see her her, her roll in through the door. You know, it's a great it's a great moment. <laughs> so, um, it seems the poison has blanked Mingus's mind, but she's still able to get a read on the crowd, and she sees a jeweled case, the name Iconos, and that the crowd actually worship this box. It's their god. But Mingus stole it, and they'll do anything to get it back. Anderson also gets the gets m- some of the name of the person Mingus sold the god to, Alvis, Elvis, but it's not clear. Dredd tells Data to run it down. There's an APB put out on Crowl as the aliens enter the office of the previously mentioned Elvar Primo. On the hunt, Dredd ends up at the MC1 uh, Hoverdrome, where a big demolition derby's going on. Dredd's looking for Dingus Mingus, who's a Harley's brother, but he's currently in the read of the derby. Excellent Mega City oh, One names so here. Scottish as hell, <laughs> Dingus Mingus. <laughs> I, just, I just can't imagine being Dingus your whole life. Um, when the racer refuses to come down, Dredd pulls his gun and shoots him down. Yeah, we learned Dingus is Harley's brother, and after a failed lie detector test and a threat of the ISO cubes, Mingus admits that Harley made trips to the planet of the Kral where he saw Iconos, the god in the box that can tell the future. Harley stole it, but soon got rid of it because the box was cursed. Instead, he sold it to attorney Elvar Primo, so he picked up all these clues. At Primo's office, he tells the aliens he's just a middleman, and he gave the box to Sim Geller, presumably the grandson of a 2000 AD editor and writer, Simon Geller. Uh, And the aliens head to the next link on the chain, but not before killing Primo, as you do. Uh, It seems Dredd knows that Primo works for Geller as well, and sends judges to him, and then sentences Dingus to five years for lying and withholding information, plus six months for not coming when called. Both Dredd and the aliens are headed for Geller as the man himself is in his mansion, being taunted by the box of Iconos. It says he's got three minutes and 15 <laughs> seconds to live. Real, real yeah, specific. specific. <laughs> yeah. Geller disagrees, but the box just laughs as Judge Jenner confirms that Primo was killed by the aliens and wrote Geller's name in his own blood. Dredd heads out, to the, heads out as the aliens smash into Geller's mansion on an aircraft and start killing their way through Geller, Geller's goons. Dredge on the scene as the box says Geller has 30 seconds left. The aliens confront Geller as Dredd rolls through the foyer on his bike. The aliens crystal zap Geller as Dredd shows up. He kills the alien um, holding the crystal. And the remaining crawl asks the crystal what it should do. It suggests surrendering, but the crawl says never and attacks Dredd and is gunned down. Um, Dredd quickly closes the box as a fleet of judges arrive on the scene. Dread the Box do exchange some barbs here. Iconos, we see, is just a sharp-toothed mouth inside this golden box. But since the judges are basically good guys, they arrange to have Iconos sent back home. They tell the god that, that his people should go through proper channels next time. Like, come on, we got a government here. You know, you don't have to send shadowy goons to get your god back. The judges will do it for free, you know? <laughs> And the the uh, the box is like, listen, I tried to do that. Like I told that that last guy you shot that he should surrender, but he didn't listen. That's the problem with being an oracle, man. Nobody ever listens to you. 
And Dredd is unimpressed and basically says, uh, be cool while you're on your way home with your prophecies or you'll be coming back to the Mega City... Back to Mega City One to do time. More threatening, and you know, I, I'd imagine he'd be put in the uh, in the supernatural boxes section of the ISO cubes. You know, next to like a couple genies' lamps and other things. <laughs> the of that devil. Nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, well, I mean, the devil's in the basement. You know, you got your your lesser spiritual. Uh, <laughs> pieces of you know pieces of evidence and criminals higher up on that same in, in that same iso block you know oh yeah this one's gaseous beings in lamps you know various genies and so forth this one's alien gods yeah we got a couple you know whatever yeah satan keep going down floor 666 you know <laughs> but this is great i love these daily dread stories yeah, you know, they a are, lot of um, fun and it's amazing how they can get so much in a like so little strip because of the way it's plenty, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, especially for these daily strips where you really have to have a climax or like a little thing to kind of keep you coming back at the end of each strip. It's interesting because sort of imagining just getting one of these strips in a day, you know, like you get one thing and then you have to, you know, get your newspaper the next day to see what's what, what's continuing on in the story. And it's a really interesting like, like way to tell these tales. Yeah, great. And so after this, there's a black and white cover of the Judge Dredd annual, which we'll be covering on the podcast soon enough. The cover's by Ascara, and he draws a pretty sweet vampire story. In that ah, one. yeah, this is a pretty good one. Yeah, Costa del Blood. They're like, it's like the uh, Mega City One vacation camp, and it's got vampires. It's just got something for everybody. Totally. Yeah, it's great stuff. <laughs> and speaking of uh, people on exciting quests, which I'm saying the vampires are, we, let's go to Thrill 10 Slain. Slain. Uh, yeah, interesting, just uh, like like weird pre-horn god stuff in Slain here. Uh, script robot Pat Mills, art robot Steve Parkhouse, letting robot Steve Parkhouse getting that double uh, paycheck. Um, we've recently just seen Steve Parkhouse arrive in the Prague as part of a full metal jacket. I think as well. We've just seen him arrive in the Prague, and this seems like it might have been a tryout story for I him. I believe it. Um, it seems, yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's got that look, and this one seems to take place before Slain the King, sort of as part of the of Slain's work in the uh, Trials of a Noon, though Ness is, is nowhere to be seen, Shame. I guess. Yeah, come on. Uh, want some, you know, something for the fellas here. Unfortunately, but, we'll uh, have to wait until the horn goes for that. It's true. Yeah, the uh, we, we see the archer, like the sign of the Celtic Zodiac, staring down the bull, and images on the land reflected in the sky, just some more Temple of the Stars stuff like we saw in a tri- in Trials of a Noon. Um, though uh, Slain, and, and, and then we see Slain and Ucko um, arriving with the arrow of the fire god. Uh, we see them doing some William Tell stuff here, but with Ucko having the apple in his mouth instead of on top of his head, as Slain talks about the importance of control when arching. You know, not too hard, not too soft. You want to get that, that arrow just into the apple, but not going out the back of Ucko's head. You know, he's not pleased by this, for sure. But if an accident <laughs> that happened, then fair enough. I mean, yeah, listen, like, he's not... <laughs> Slain is 100% not stressed about it, absolutely. Um... We see Slain. He seems to be wearing woad here. Like he's kind of, his skin is blue and he's got a big purple mark on his eyes. And they're headed to one of these uh, sky temples like the one at Glastonbury. But this one is controlled by the evil Droon Lords. So uh, basically the job is that Slain has to fire the arrow of who? 
the supreme deity and teacher of mankind in the Druid religion with pinpoint accuracy. And it's a pretty cool arrow. It's got some runes built into the side of it. And it's made of solid gold, which, of course, Ukko is very interested in because he's, you know, dwarfing it up, basically. Um... Uh, Slain a dwarf enter the temple. It's full of drones with their like like weird hair helmets. With you know they've they've got like the the hair built into the front of the helmets to let the uh, let them be able to breathe more comfortably in the face of their smelly drone lords. And a, we see a dark druid trying to resurrect Hugh to Earth. They're looking at a certain... Um, Slain's looking around for a specific spot to fire the arrow, but the guards spot Uko. They're like, hey, man, like that guy sold me a crabby chariot. Let's get him. <laughs> and that means it's time to fight. Slain turns, grabs his axe, starts fighting and stuff like that, when suddenly a terrifying shape is summoned from some standing stones. It seems... This temple is a storehouse for stellar energy, and the druids are using it to draw down the stars to summon this beast from beyond like the void. Did. It's a monster. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. As you do when you're, when you're a druid lord. Absolutely. That's 100% job description. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, again, we've seen this before. Like, you know, sort of like a Krom Kruak with the, with the, uh, with the Burning and Man and stuff like that. Many, many, many times in the future. Uh, oh, absolutely. The monster's mostly skeletal with a human face with a lot of pointy teeth coming out of it. I think it's got a pretty cool design, actually. Like, I could see fighting this in a video game for sure. Um, we see it picking up humans by the handful and eating them whole. It looms towards Slain as the barbarian draws back his bow and shoots the beast in the eye. <laughs> At first, it seems nothing happens. But then, the figure of the archer in the sky lets loose an arrow and suddenly dozens of stars, quote-unquote, or maybe asteroids or you know, little comets or something, are drawn down and they destroy the monster. It's pretty awesome. Also burning up the drones and stuff like that. You know, cle- cleans the whole place up. The day is saved as dawn breaks over the standing stone Stones forming the three golden rays of light we've seen as a symbol of the uh, of the of this Celtic religion slain follows the arrow of God indeed the end <laughs> just a fun little like we're gonna go someplace have some fighting scenes here's a monster yeah we handled it pretty fast you know this is in and out but just a little like 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 I like right, to think of this not, as a yeah. last hurrah of the old style slain stories before. Things start to take a turn later. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that um, here, and we're about to get into um, like that that sort of little uh, uh, Glenn Fabry uh, slain mini series right before Prague Six Hundred as well, which are these sort of like old time slain, like the, uh, the you know, because there's sort of three phases of slain that I'm aware of at least. We've sort of got you've got your your early stuff with a uh, Bellardinelli and McMahon. Then you kind of go to like Fabry and Pew with a like a Tomb of Terror and and uh, Slain the King and stuff. And then uh, next next year in our Prague timeline, that's when Bisley shows up and it's Horn God time, and that changes the game Absol- forever. Absolutely, you know? so these are all sort of final gasps in these in these previous eras of Slain. Like I feel like this one's actually yeah, this one actually does feel kind of similar. In another annual, we had a Slain story. Like a slain story that was by um, Bella Arginelli that was basically the same story as in a uh, Time Killer as uh, that slain story, but it was by Bella Arginelli. So this is another sort of yeah, like like, like relic of a previous it, slain era. It is genuinely bizarre that, as well as the obvious unintentional dinosaur time travel theme of this annual, there is kind of a finality to some of the stuff in this annual as well. 
we've got the last ace trucking yeah. for a really long time. Um, we've got, yeah, we've and, got, I mean, as and well, bad company yeah. too, because I mean, like that won't come back for like two hundred. And as we so, just mentioned sure. there, this rain feels like our last hurrah for the old styles rain before Simon Busby comes in and changes things forever. Yeah, no, that's an in- that's a really interesting point for sure. Yeah, this like yeah, this is sort of like a big end of an era, like like annual. Is finishing out the eighties with uh, with a blast, just sort of tying tying some loose ends Pretty or something much. like that. It does feel like that. Interest. That's a, that's an interest. Like I, I I like that take. It's interesting trying to find these these repeating themes in the course of these annuals because it feels like it happens too often that you can sort of point to one or two things like hey this happens in every story in this annual or in this special or something like that for it to just be a complete accident it's it's it, 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 it's fun to figure things out but with that said i have one question for you dave possibly better <laughs> known as the monarch what were your top and bottom thrills with this Well, annual? I will go with bottom first, and I will say bottom with an asterisk, because I don't think anything in this annual at all is bad. So I'd say this is kind of nice. like my least favourite, but I still like it, and that would be the Swain we just read there. I do like Swain, mm-hmm. but compared to everything else in this annual, I think it's weaker, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that for sure. But as for my top throw, Ace Trucking easily, it's the perfect ending to Ace Trucking, even if it kind of did get cut from the recent collection of it. I still think it's the perfect ending. With a, with, with, with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think, or I, I think it's a really great Ace Trucking story and a great bow for the series <laughs> for sure. I mean, you can't get any better. You can't get any better than yeah. the co-stars of the comic owning everything, and the main star just being left destitute. <laughs> yeah, sent 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 to prison, possibly for life in deep space. Is excellent, but I like that it also has all these little notes of sort of things you'd remember from Ace Trucking. You know, the different the other truckers that um, you know lost their rides that Ace won back and stuff. I even love the little stuff like Ace uh, tossing Feek into that bowl of worms and things. It's like sort of, yeah, if Ace was a millionaire, he'd have that giant bowl of worms that he likes to eat just lying around in there sort of job of the It genuinely style, does know? feel like a totally 2000 AD ending to a long running strip. Which is, which is not the last long running strip we're going to be going to, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I I am so sorry. Cool. Yeah, I think I am so sorry. <laughs> oh no, you know he's fine. Don't worry about that guy. You know he'll handle it. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll muddle through. I think I might actually join you in solidarity here. Um, I agree. Like I think that the. The, the slain story, I mean, it just it just feels really similar to the Trials of a mm-hmm. Noon story almost. And, like, I just can't play... It, it's hard for me to place in the chronology of slain. So, for me, it's sort of like, all right, like, this is okay, but it very much feels like random adventures. Um, less into it, I guess. Um, and, yeah, and so, the, like, of the sort of ending stories, this one felt the most essential. I agree, though. It's not, like, bad. Like, that's why I always try to say, like, like a bottom thrill instead of worst to- thrill, I to- guess. Totally, because, because sometimes you just get an annual this, or yeah. a prog like this where there's nothing really bad in it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, listen, like we've had bad stuff in these annuals and, for sure, you know. And you so will I be seeing a lot of I, bad stuff in the future. <laughs> indeed, yeah, we're sort of in this in this time of decent annuals, as from what I've been told. But um, this, yeah, like like this lane story was okay, but again, like it's sort of. The story's inessential. Like Steve Parkhouse, definitely not like a, a slain artist that I'm like making that I've made a lot that I, I have a lot of time for, I guess, just because he's not one of the big ones, you know. So that one feels great for bottom. And then, yeah, like I, 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 I like this ace trucking story a lot. And I'm glad to see things sort of resolved from just the end of the uh, of that movie story, which really left a bad taste in my mouth. So having a story that sort of him coming back, getting back to hijinks, you know, seeing sort of him get his, get, you know, um, Ace get a real comeuppance from his, from his so-called, from his friends and employees and uh, stuff. Oh, that's really great and just really fun, a great capper. John Wagner and Alan Grant could have left it unfinished like some other strips in the past, but at least we'd go at ending. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, I, honestly, this really does feel, like these annuals and sometimes the specials too, like, do feel like a good place for if you're a completionist, you can see how a story they've dropped sort of ended. You know, <laughs> I know, like that's how that's how the hit storyline. Yeah, since they end in that, uh, for Rogue Trooper, like like that does end totally in a special. special. You know? They go so fed up of that <laughs> particular storyline. <laughs> yeah, just like all right, like fine, whatever. You know, and so I feel like, and, but you know, when you can do that and make the story also be fun, and I think the the bad company story is like that too, where it's sort of it's not essential, but it does add some extra extra spice to the to the narrative or sort of to the either the end or the start of the story. I feel like that's a really good use for these annual stories, which of course are usually self contained, but still you know have something extra if you're a diehard if you're a fan or you're just sort of getting a gift on christmas or other things oh like that. yeah mum might get you something on a whim like what happened with me in the 91 and yeah definitely i mean you know all these like that's one of the thing i one of the things i i love about hearing people's stories about annuals especially is that they're usually gifts like they're always like yeah like i it was christmas or i was sick or something like that and i got this annual it sort of got me into 2000 ad I'm like oh that's nice that's just a, a wholesome comic book story and i appreciate it i'm going to totally thank my mom because if she didn't get me that 91 at judge dread annual i might not actually be sitting here right now i feel like i'm the same but it's just for a love of comics my mom got me like some some uh some x-men comics when i was when, when i had the chicken pox or something like that and like it really really set me down a road that's taken me to some interesting places over the years <laughs> absolutely i can totally agree with that yeah yeah here's totally all right <laughs> Yeah. I hope everybody yeah, so I I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always you can find Space Spinner two thousand on iTunes, Stitch at the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner two thousand dot com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner two thousand at gmail.com on the two thousand eighty forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner Two K for everything else with Space Spinner Two Thousand. We should be there. And you know, if you email me, I promise I'll get back to you eventually, but maybe not as fast as I might like sometimes, so I apologize for. Anyway, Dave, thank you so thank much for coming on the much. show. It's All been right. an absolute honor and a pleasure as a fan of the show. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so is there anything you'd like to plug or where people can find you on the internet if they'd like to do something well, if you'd like to be found? there is, of course, the same, exact same 2000 AD forums that Space Spinner 2000 frequents. I am on there almost every day and I talk a lot about daft Mark Miller stories that are actually good, like Kanan Fodder a lot. All oh, right. 
Oh man, that's the one with like that uh, with, with with the priest the, that the, fights the priest God that and stuff goes like that. To heaven to find out why God's buggered off and it's insane. That's right. I look forward to Fox's reactions to that nonsense. <laughs> I definitely remember some like crazy, crazy images in the course of that one. Yeah, as Chris Weston, after all, weird early, <laughs> early mid '90s action. That's going to be some exciting times for sure. Just this grim foreboding in the future of this podcast. I, I, awesome. it is a sick thing to say, but I am genuinely looking forward to your '90s coverage, just because of some of the stuff you've got to have to swag for. And believe me, it will be a swag. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for it too, honestly. I feel like, you know, I'm guilty of this too, but now he built it up to be such a boogeyman that I'm sort of interested. I'm like, I'm I'm like like ready to fight, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I want to, I want to see these space girls, man. I'm ready, you know? But until then, come back next week as we got a big relaunch of 2000 AD with returns for Rogue Trooper, Slane, and Zenith. Plus, Nemesis keeps bringing death, and Dread goes full cl- full color over the rainbow. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's David, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Monday, Monday. 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 Monday.